welcome to Bunda Vista. I am Andrew here for episode 126. Uh, and we are here at a group job interview. That's the worst kind of job interview that there can be. I'm pretty oh, convinced. Terrible. Hate it. Uh, uh, let's go around the room and say what our biggest flaw is. Theo. So, I would say that I'm just, in general, too good at all of the things that I do. And you may say, well, that's not a real flaw, but I have an effect that everyone around me despises me for being extra super good at uh, the job that I do now and the job that I could be doing uh, with you, the corporation, whom, um, look, I know you've got some you've got some boots on there. Would it be untoward if I licked them? <laughs> Uh, and what about you, Ben? What's your biggest flaw in the workplace? Oh, my biggest problem is that I always work exactly 10% harder than anybody else in the room. You take right. the hardest working person there, I'll beat them by 10%. Calculate it. Also, I steal stationery. Like a lot. <laughs> I'm stealing <laughs> unbelievable quantities of printer ink and reselling it on the street for cash. Every time you walk out of backpack just rustling with several thousand biros in there i've gone to every floor of the office building taken just a little bit from every stationary cupboard someone's uh someone walks into the stationary cupboard and you're there hunched on the ground mouth uh on a hose that kind of leads down <laughs> and up towards the uh commercial printer <laughs> magenta powder all over your face oh dear my biggest flaw is um, chronic sexual harassment. <laughs> but, but, I make sure that nobody is left out by sexually harassing every single person in the company. Oh, oh you're I'm an, an equal, equal opportunity, opportunity offender? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's that right-wing comedy we love, baby. <laughs> oh. I'm an equal, uh, equal opportunity. I hate everyone. <laughs> Men, women, it's all the same to me. Oh, dear. How we how we doing, guys? Oh, we good. Doing, doing all right. Are we kinda, good. You- kind of got here through a complicated sequence of events this morning. Mm-hmm. We've been building a deck, which is very exciting. I get to kind of make up for years of uh, giving the impression that I'm some sort of effete mathematical golem mm-hmm. um, through several hours of hard hard labour. But during this, uh, we found a pigeon being hassled by a new neighbourhood cat that I do not respect. Uh, it's a tiny ginger tabby, and it is a huge shithead. This pigeon's lame, uh, and exactly when we were supposed to be podcasting, uh, this is before I'd told anybody that I was going to, um, because I do feel deep shame about the things that I do. Um, this uh, I had to hop in the car and take this pigeon to a vet, but no vets are open, so uh, I have with me here under a towel... Small bird problem. Huh. So, at what point are you just going to pull the plug and kill this pigeon? Oh, I was thinking this on the way. The people would just absolutely, like, hit this bird with a rock. Um, it's very lame. Um, as in, it's uh, <laughs> It sucks a whole to- bunch. <laughs> It, it it can't move real good. Um, so sorry to any any listeners, but it's a friendly enough bird. I hope he hope he pulls through. We'll see. Yeah, I had to do that once when um this is back when uh, before wife of the show, my wife Eleanor and I were married, living in wedded bliss, uh, and we lived in a share house in Melbourne um, with a bunch of other people. Uh, lots of here's here's an irony for you. Lots of very vegan uh, animal rightsy type people you know and then the cat couscous cat of the show our cat couscous um brings in a pigeon that she has mauled and we all went oh no and then everybody said someone's got to do something about this pigeon and all of a sudden reverting to gender roles all of the women in this house simultaneously turned and looked at me and i went oh no i don't want to have to Womp this pigeon with a shovel, uh, but that's the way it played out. Really, mm. this was uh. this was at like you know eleven thirty at night. There's no vets open, and also I'm not taking a pigeon to a vet. Outrageous! Would you have had to pay for for services no, to be rendered pay. to this pigeon? You don't pay for the services. You take them to the vet, 
and uh, they say, uh, thank you for bringing me this bird, and they can't swear at you or, or frown at you, even though you've just introduced <laughs> new work to them. Uh, you pay nothing, uh, you sign a little release form, and then you walk away. And then they hit the pigeon with the shovel. And then they hit the pigeon with the shovel. <laughs> with a yeah. medical shovel. With a- I, I spent a lot of time debating about whether or not I wanted to... Want is the wrong word. But whether or not mm. I thought it was a better idea to just like... Um, try to bludgeon this pigeon with a shovel or do like a, a stabbing type motion, whether it was better oh, to try and God. like, you know, shear the uh, thing's head right off. Oh, no. But, but I could no. I could see... If, well, because I was like, what if, you, what if you whack the pigeon and that doesn't do it? That's bad. You're not doing any favors then. But then I was like, yeah, but if you tried to like tactically behead a pigeon with a shovel and that didn't go right, I think that's worse. I think it's worse. I'm going to do neither, just personally. I'm going to let a professional sort this issue out for me. My understanding is that you're there right now with the bird immediately in front of you. It's to my side, yeah. You're looking at it, <laughs> and all you're hearing is a lot about chopping its head off, and you're staring into its eyes. I feel, I feel like out of all of the birds, just ranking them faculties-wise, mm-hmm. this pigeon's oh. not, uh, not able to understand our words i believe it to be completely oblivious to the human language they can sense tone oh very well (laughs) well um i'll be interested to see how this pans out whether or Uh not you well maybe at some point you'll take the towel off and the pigeon's just dead due to neglect and a lack of engagement that is a a possibility i've considered yeah and hope for i guess no (laughs) i hope the pigeon makes it you really do you think this pigeon's going to pull through at this point I have to believe that. I have to believe there's some good left in the world, Andrew. This is going to be uh, exactly like the music video for the Modest Mouse song, Ocean Breathe Salty, except it's a pigeon instead of a crow. Check it out. I'm not going to. Oh, dear. So, Theo has an unwelcome visitor in his house, a dying pigeon. But speaking of unwelcome visitors in the home, Ben. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Uh-huh. Uh, so, so it's, it's, it's election time in the UK and um, people, people are getting cranky at each other. But I understand that this has kind of bled over into the housing market. Is this correct? Yeah, you know how there's like, when there's been a big rise of conservative uh, anti-immigrant sentiment, how there's been like a really bad form of discrimination happening in housing? It is, of course, against uh, conservatives. That's... That's the, the worst problem we've got on our hands right now. The true discrimination. Uh, and someone writing for The Telegraph in the UK has done a deep, deep dive into the horrible ways uh, in which people politely tell young conservatives that they don't want to live with them. Harrowing stories like this. When Olivia Lever, a young conservative, went looking for student accommodation, she couldn't have imagined the reception that she would receive from one household. Arriving at the flat, there was a sign reading, Fuck the Tories. (laughs) And once inside, she found similar literature insulting Boris Johnson and Brexit and a poster of Che Guevara. Only one of the housemates made the effort to meet her, and later on she received a text from another reading, I saw you were the leader of the Young Conservative Party in uni and you support Brexit. We are a very left-wing house and I think there could be potential clash. Which is is not unreasonable. Like, let's, let's say right off the bat, Let's say that you happen to be the leader of the young conservatives at your university or whatever, <laughs> and you go to look at a house and it has a big sign up that says, fuck the Tories and fuck Boris Johnson, and we hate people like you and of your ideology. Like, do you not just turn around and walk back out of the building mm. at that point? Like, Imagine there's a, there's a room. You're mm-hmm. at the entryway to this room and the door is closed but the doorway is before you and upon the door there's a sign that says if you enter upon this room uh, a man will bop you on the head with a hammer as a conservative the only option left to you uh, I believe is to enter the room be bopped on the head with a hammer uh, and then be paid to write a column about it say hey hey (laughs) someone bopped me on the head well like how could I have known like, even, even outside of the fact that um, conservatives definitely think that somebody saying, 
hey, uh, your chosen political ideology, which is often about excluding other people from society and being anti-immigration and uh, trying to make the society we live in as, as hateful and divided as possible, they think that somebody saying that they don't like that about you is the same as someone saying, hey, you should change the color of your skin. Mm-hmm. Even apart from that, like if I showed up to, to look at a rental and everybody in there was like, we're all crust punks. Uh-huh. Uh, I'd go, cool. Yep. See you later, guys. <laughs> you know, if you turned up and everybody there Isn't said... Literally how you met your wife. If, if, you turned up, <laughs> if you turned up for a share house and all of the people sitting on the couch said, so we're all Harry Potter fanatics. And every Friday night, we do a marathon of Mm -hmm. every single Harry Potter movie. And every Saturday, um, first thing in the morning, while you're trying to sleep in, we all loudly gather in the hallway and do a reenactment of a scene from one of the books. And attendance is mandatory. Attendance is mandatory. Would you be like, hey, I'm really mad a, that these people want me to do this, and B, that when I didn't want to do it, they got mad at me. It's very strange. Plus, it's, it, to me, the thing that... Well, one of the th- strangest things about this is that this is conservatives that need to rent, right? If you, uh, you know, somehow establish a, like a slumlord sort of situation and then you become a conservative, uh, that's understandable. It's also evil, but it's, but it's understandable because it's uh, rational self-interest. But if you're still a renter, if you're like, you know, just trying to make it as a student uh, in this world, you know, scrounging, doing what you can to to survive and you're a young conservative, that's just, it's just very bizarre to me. You've got your whole life to do that. Why don't you not do that for a little while longer and just uh, be a normal person? Yeah, the, uh, the, the classic thing of, what is it that people say, uh, if you're, if you're not, if you're not left wing when you're young, you you got no heart. You got if no you're, heart. Yeah, yeah. If you're if not you're when not, you're old, you, you got, got no, no dick. dick. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I look. I I I think the weirdest thing in the world is young conservatives. Is people who who look at the world and the way it is and say, "Ooh, what if we what if we accidentally spend too much money trying to help people." What if we help people too much? What if we put too little flammable cladding on the walls uh, of this rental that you are looking to rent? What if we removed too many of life's um, obstacles and hardships for people, you know? Ugh. What if what if not so many people had to go to fucking dreary make-work jobs for their entire existence just to, just to justify uh, the system that we have in place? I'm sorry. I couldn't no, bear it. You're making no sense whatsoever. <laughs> Couldn't bear it. I don't like it. Don't like to hear about it. Don't like to see it. It's not good. It's not a phenomenon that's limited to renters either. This sinister trend does extend uh, elsewhere. Sinister. Uh, Maybe the incident could have been put down as a one-off, but it is, in fact, part of a sinister trend in the rental market, student and otherwise, where some households have been vetting potential tenants for their political views. Living solo in London, I was oblivious to this phenomenon until August last year. When I'd written for this newspaper about dating apps, I'd complained that they'd become too left-wing with prejudice rife against conservatives and Brexiteers. <laughs> again, again, those... <laughs> you'll notice you'll notice that the common factor in both of these things that we're talking about is um, other strangers in society being able to vet you to see if they think you'll get along. That is what the common factor in both of these things is. Dating apps and seeing if you can share a property together. Also, what is the, what's the end game here? Like, people must like me for my yeah. disgusting beliefs as we just uh, come around with a cattle prod to uh, give everyone a shock until they uh, support. No, it's not that. It's, it's the scenario that we all want out of life, which is the, the marketplace of ideas and the constant battlefield of ideology. Let's be, is, let's be civil for a little it's bit. It's also taking place in your house all the time. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't you love to come home from a hard day of work and then just like argue with your flatmate about 
conservative policies for like several hours every night wouldn't that make for a nice peaceful existence to spend the several hours of your weekdays that you don't have to spend at work arguing with somebody who thinks that like lots of people don't have a right to exist or even better you should be forced to date them for some reason yes that one too yep so it gets worse (laughs) uh among the many responses i received one reader said the problem was much greater than i'd imagined that some flatmate adverts were now warning off people who did not have Europhile or left-wing worldviews. To examine the issue, I logged on to spareroom.co.uk, which is probably the most famous website for flat hunting up and down the country. According to its statistics, someone finds a housemate on there every three minutes. I searched for a number of terms such as Labour, Tory, Corbyn, Conservatives, Socialism and Brexit to see what adverts they would yield, with some shocking results. So hold on a second. This mm-hmm. <laughs> this seems like perhaps a tiny touch of confirmation bias in the sense that while trying to prove that just going about your business as a conservative makes it like impossible for you to, to rent or to share a flat with somebody, instead it's I went on to a rental website and put these terms in, found every ad that yields these terms and then said, see... Everybody's vetting by these criteria. I logged on. I searched for uh, rooms where you enter. A man bops you on the head with a hammer. (laughs) (laughs) I searched for the following terms. Hammer, bop, head, sign, door. I was dismayed by what I found. (laughs) And soon afterwards, my head was full of big, big, tall lumps. And when I pushed down on one to push it back into my skull, another one popped up up somewhere else on my head. (laughs) First off... At no point did I discover conservative or Brexiteer prejudice towards Labour or Remainers. I wonder why. Well, it didn't sound like you were looking for it, nope. but okay. <laughs> in results that paralleled my dating article, I discovered it was members of the left who are most intolerant, starting with a double room in East London. The photographs of the flat were delightful, but the advert reads, No Tories, despite simultaneously asking for the applicant to be a friendly person. Yeah, it seems like they kind of redundant phrasing there, I guess, saying it twice. It's two advertisers are photographed with a Labour banner. Next up, there's a £750 per month double room in a peaceful warehouse. It looks like a fun dig where the tenants describe themselves as a creative, kinky and active bunch of people. But they also stipulate no Tories need apply. (laughs) I don't want to live in a share house where people describe themselves as kinky. (laughs) Kinky and active together sounds like a threat. (laughs) (laughs) Very active. Not only are we kinky, but the kinkiness will be taking place. It will absolutely be happening. This is not passive kinkiness at all. Yeah. (laughs) If you come home, there's going to be active kinkiness around the house. (sighs) Pushing like sex swings out of the way, trying to get down the hall. Sliding over in the lube on the hardwood floors. <laughs> no, thank you. In my search, anti-Tory sentiment became a continual theme. Later, I stumbled upon a room in a house whose ten- tenants classify themselves as a bike nerd couple with a strange obsession that their flatmate must like bikes or at least tolerate them. Uh, but all of this becomes immaterial if you're conservative as they demand no smokers or Tories. I love, like, how... <laughs> How much, like, you could just replace Tories with assholes in all of these? Yeah, no pricks. Yeah. Sorry. Yep. Which which begs the larger question, like, because that, that's clearly what these people mean by this, isn't it? No smokers, no assholes. If you're an asshole, don't apply to live here, you know? I think uh, the person writing this article should maybe be asking why so many people feel the need to conflate their ideology with being an asshole. But that's not what it's about. It's about um, you should be forced to live with me. <laughs> and I could tell you about why I'm not an asshole. actually. <laughs> it keeps going. Um, perhaps the most illiberal students are taking their cues from leading lights within the Labour Party, such as Laura Pidcock, who, at 32, is already tipped as a future leader, but who, when asked by the Sunday Times if she would have beer with a Tory, wrinkled her nose. Oh, no. <laughs> She has previously said that she couldn't be friends with a conservative. That's it. She wrinkled her nose. That's the whole thing. That's not like them going into quote her saying something else. 
I I really do feel like the difference with a lot of this is that it's like I was saying, there's so much of so much of conservative ideology these days, or at the very least, the conservative ideology that we see like blasted through the media and the types of people on like Twitter and Facebook and stuff who want to make a big deal out of the fact that they're conservative. People who consider themselves, you know, leading advocates for conservatism is that the thing that we keep coming back on over and over again is that these are the people who want to make really clear that so much of what they're fighting for and so much of what their ideology is about is their right to be offensive to other people. Mm hmm. Their right to offend others, their their right to say things which hurt other people's feelings and to treat other people in ways that they themselves would not want to be treated. Not because it's a good thing to do, but because it's their right. Because it's their right to do. And I don't know where the confusion comes in for this type of person that when when you spend you know, a lot of your time publicly aligning yourself with an ideology that for so many people is synonymous with causing offense to others and then being unapologetic and like apparently relishing your right to just kind of be a piece of shit to other people that other people would would look at that and say not really who I'm looking to hang out with yeah no I don't want this in my personal living space thank you yeah like and that that is somehow censorship it's it's also a particularly a historical take, I think, um, for for British people, right? Because, like, the Tories are racist now, right? But not even long ago, long ago, they were like super outwardly racist, um, and that kind of overlaps with housing policy, right? So, like in the in the sixties, a Conservative MP, Peter Griffiths, um, got elected on Peter the, Griffin. Uh, Peter, that's right, Peter Griffin, <laughs> Conservative MP. <laughs> oh, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> you guys Christ. remember Family Guy? <laughs> no. It's still going. They're still making it. That doesn't seem right. It's still going. Um, but he got elected on the, uh, on, the, on the slogan, if you want an N-word for a neighbour, vote Labour, right? And the Tories refused to uh, disavow him uh, as, a, as a party. Uh, and this, because it was too popular with the conservative base, right? And this uh, affected um, policy. It affected the way that people uh, moved into suburbs and all that sort of thing. So, like, to, and I don't think that the the Tories, um, you know, have changed that much to, to crib, you know, Stuart Lee. The difference now is that they couched their uh, racism in more cryptic language, right? Um, but, you know, we've seen with, with Brexit uh, a thing that is clearly motivated um, significantly by race, um, not just conservatism. And for them to, to say that they can uh, identify as Tory and be accepted into places when so much of, like you said, Andrew, their ideology um, relies upon not accepting others and the actual material results that come out of that is just bizarre. It's just an odd, it's, it's a very odd thing to, to conclude. I think there's one other, that, yeah, there is a fundamental aspect to this, which is like you're saying, the idea that you should be able to have so much of your ideology be around offending other people and pushing other people to the margins of society, but also saying this should never actually come back to have any material impact on me or my life or my relationships or my employment or anything else. Um, and I think that that goes to show for how many people in the conservative world, political ideology, it isn't a real thing. I think for, for a lot of people who are very uh, left-wing, not, not everybody, obviously, um, speaking in generalizations, but for a lot of, a lot of leftists, the point is that you're trying to, to help bring about some kind of material change that helps people other than yourself. Bring about something that, that causes an actual change and an actual impact in other people's lives. Whereas this strain of conservatism is so much of the time about, you know, I, I just want to be able to do exactly what I want. I don't care what happens to other people. You know, so much of conservatism is about the, about the individualism of everything. Um, but also the same people who rave on about personal responsibility 
are the ones who don't think that there should actually be any impact from their own behavior and their own public associations to, to hateful ideologies. Weird stuff. And also, I, th- I would say that, you know, like you said, that it's sort of a, a very kind of, it's a bit of a game, but it's it's also sort of just like pushing numbers around on a ledger that says, you know, if we spend this much less on, um, on uh, you know, health services and public housing and all that kind of thing, you know, we, we will get uh, less tax out of it. And they don't, they don't come face to face with the human results of it. And here it is, like this is them... Uh, on on the flip side, coming face to face with actual human consequences for pushing numbers around on a ledger, and and it comes as a shock to them, right? To say, oh, hey, this actually, uh, the my ideology is having results, uh, you know, actual kind of physical results on somebody, but it's having results on me, uh, the protagonist of the universe. <laughs> so therefore, it's bad. This is great. Uh- Commenting on my findings, Spare Room said, Recently we have seen more mentions of political preferences in adverts, which unfortunately is a sign of the times we live in. Choosing who you live with based on how they vote isn't counted as discrimination. Uh, However, we'd always encourage people to say who they do want to live with rather than who they don't. So instead of saying, I don't want to live with a cunt, say, I would like to live with someone who isn't a cunt. (laughs) Uh, And she concludes this way, of course, it's perfectly normal to have preferences in housemates, that they're tidy and friendly to live with, for starters, but this trend seems a step too far. Ultimately, it's not really anyone else's business how other people vote, but it's also tedious. Who wants to talk about Brexit when they get home from a hard day's work? Lefties take note, many young Tories would choose a glass of wine and Love Island over an evening discussing politics. And some of us even like bikes too. Imagine liking a bike. But isn't she making essentially the point for... Who wants to talk about Brexit when they get home from a hard day's work? No one. That's why you don't live with a bunch of fucking Tories. And live with people who are obsessed with the shit. Yeah, like, just fucking, like, yeah, probably not a great point to make when you are the head of a student politics fucking body. Like, no one would want to talk about politics after work, and that is your entire life. So these these are the things that happen to you in this world obsessed with social capital. When you poison poison the well, and then you have to drink from the well, and you say, "Ah, someone poisoned this." Yuck! <laughs> <laughs> Yuck! <laughs> it's no good. But um, but this leads us to an article from Bernard Salt. Ben, you I believe you described Bernard Salt to me before we started. Uh, could you repeat that for us now? Uh. Him being the guy that wrote the uh, text on millennials wasting their money on avocado when they should be buying houses. It's true. If you if you simply did not eat several avocados, you'd have enough money for a house by now. He uh, he wrote one that just got savagely owned by just about everyone because uh, he's basically just spent an entire article complaining about how he doesn't like how modern cafes look and that young people go there. And then concluded that they should just have houses instead. He's a well-loved figure, Bernard Salt. Before we get too much into the article, can I just maybe say we could swap out uh, your uh, metaphor before, Andrew, of poisoning the well with Uh perhaps uh, that they have salted the earth. Oh, and then lead into. I know we can't do it now. We've already done uh, the. We've already done the transition but maybe next time when we're leading from something about uh you know uh, political ideology you know salting the earth and then into a bernard salt article and it may not come up often uh we just we could with, do that one wait can i offer an alternative to that one as well sure, I, obviously please. we can't use it at this stage but another one uh-huh. we could have done is um those uh tories will be crying ironically into their sjw tears mug and you know what's mm-hmm. in tears salt uh-huh. and speaking of salt Bernard Salt. Not bad. That's yeah. the third one. For the third time that we need one. Uh-huh. Beautiful. So we can't obviously... Not this time. Nothing with them, but... No. Andrew, I'm filing you... that away. I'm yeah. pulling open a big drawer um, in the rusty filing cabinet that is inside yep. my mind's palace. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm, f- I'm flicking down with my fingers down the many manila folders and I'm getting to S. Uh, opening up my salt file... Placing both of those in there for the next time this comes up. Thank you, guys. You might want to put a little tag in the B file for Bernard, just linking CCS salt as well. I don't come into your mind palace and tell you 
how your filing works, do I? I mean, no. Please don't ever <laughs> enter my mind palace. <laughs> Got it just exactly as I like it. Everything is where it should be. Um, I'm not happy there, but at least I know where everything is. It's um, it's all way too much like the um, early 2000s movie The Cell. The Cell. That's so, right. so, Jennifer Lopez and Vincent yep. D'Onofrio. I think this is about the ninth The Cell reference. Uh, Tassim Singh, I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was that his last good movie? Oh, no. Please. How dare you? You didn't like The Fall? Oh, I haven't seen The Fall properly. Oh, The Fall's beautiful. It's very yeah. good. Uh, but... Uh, Selfless was that what it was called? Self slash less, the one. No, it wasn't good. Don't worry uh, about it. Ryan Reynolds, Ben Kingsley, yeah. silly stuff. Uh-huh. Immortals was also not good. Oh, I didn't watch that one. It was like a kind of, you know, swords and sandals type deal. Um, obviously, cool imagery and everything, but um, just bad stuff. It's a bit of a stinker. Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, I'm not sure not sure how we got there. But several weeks ago, we had friend of the show, J.R. Hennessy on, um, and we were talking about wage theft uh, from large chains of supermarkets, a lot of, a lot of businesses all over Australia, if we're being honest. But um, Bernard has chosen to write an article that supposes that maybe it is a two-sided coin, a double-edged sword, if you will. He says, like most Australians, I've been horrified by the recent stories about businesses underpaying staff over many years. And it raises the question, is anyone ever inadvertently overpaid? An employer has a duty of care, indeed a moral obligation to ensure that workers are paid their full salaries and entitlements Mm. in a timely manner. I would raise a further further question. Uh, Who gives a shit? Now, like every other um, article by a conservative, this forms the standard template of I get my disclaimer out of the way at the start there's always they always do the bit up the start which is like you know yes I believe people should be entitled to equal rights and a presumption of innocence but (laughs) they always always have the big but Uh, this is crucial for businesses as it goes to the matter of their social license which is kind of like a right to operate granted not by a regulatory authority but by the community I reckon the tobacco industry, for example, is right on the edge of having a social license to operate in Australia. And I think the coal industry's social license is under review. Hmm. Uh, you so know this, that thing this that actually is... affects things in a material way? Like, we'll probably shut down coal soon, I think, because their social license doesn't get renewed. Like anyone gives a crap. Yeah, um, and and also that's 1,000% going to be the only context in which anything ever happens to coal in this country. Oh, is where sure. there's so much pressure from the actual like community. Stop making money? Unless, of course, Prime Minister Scott Morrison gets his way and somehow manages to pass a law stopping people from boycotting businesses? So that'll be cool. Yeah, it's going to be cool going to every business simultaneously all moments of the day because you're not allowed to boycott mm-hmm. anything. Yep. Which I think is the only way that you can fulfill that requirement. Uh, but it continues, the problem for any business is that once you're on the social license review list, it's hard to get off. And if you get a reputation for being fast and loose with the rules, customers, especially Australian customers, are likely to lose trust in you. Eventually, they'll withdraw their gift of a social license to operate, and they'll do this by collectively viewing you as evil or greedy or both. And that's why there's no more banks in Australia. Mm-hmm. Remember? Yep, we finished Remember them. how we had the Banking Royal Commission and it showed literally millions of instances of banks uh, flouting the law, uh, doing all types of illegal transactions... Um, and, you know, charging dead people money for things. I saw an article just the other day about how Westpac, um, through its monitoring, established a whole bunch of suspected pedophile activity. And uh, uh, let's, let's just say, for example, Ben, what would you expect that a business would do when finding out that a bunch of their customers um, were, were doing suspected pedophile activity? What's the next step in this process? Well, I'd probably take that information to the police. Well, that seems like a reasonable thing to do, right? Close. It was a close guess. What they did was um, just kept making money from them. 
Huh. And that was the end of the story. That was going to be my second guess. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's why their social license has been withdrawn by the people of Australia and the four major banks are no longer um, setting record-breaking profit margins every year, even right. in a stagnant economy. They shut down due to no social license. Mm-hmm. Yep. The social um, license inspector came around uh, in um, so sort of a... Uh, Buzz cut under the under the hair, uh, which is green, I think. Um, sort of <laughs> rainbow badges all over, um, and they've said, uh, "Can I just see your social license real quick?" And sorry, it's been it's been revoked, uh, Madame. And you know they chided them for gendering them and all that sort of stuff, uh, and then they shut down. I think, or maybe nothing happened. They've taken their social license uh, card and cut it in half with a big pair of scissors. It's gone. Gone. So sorry. Bernard says, this is the stuff that scares boards witless, and rightly so. We Australians get mightily antsy about issues of fairness, especially when it comes to the treatment of workers. Do we? Do we or do we live in a country that's like bizarrely enthusiastic about the idea of criminalizing all union activity? Do we live in a country where instead of, say, sending the board members of the banks that profiteered from dead customers to jail, uh, instead we support governments which say things like, we're going to make it that if, uh, if a union is ever a day late on filing any of its paperwork, that the union is forcefully dissolved. I'm not sure which, which country we're in. It's hard to say. Yep. Um, this is the stuff that scares board members witless when they are forced to uh, resign from the bank and take $5 million out the door with them. <laughs> uh, this raises another question that to my way of thinking, the salty way, is on the same spectrum. If a business is held to account for ensuring that the terms of an employment contract are delivered to the letter, as they should, then so too should employees. I mean, fair's fair, right? Damn, Turnabout right. is fair play. All right. Turn Let's see where he's going point. with this. Mm. Uh-huh. So here's the big here's the big turn. The the worm is currently doing a big turn. So is chucking a sickie wage theft from an employer? No, no, no that's part of your you're given that time. Yeah. Yep. The end, and that's yeah. And that's just it. a big, big full stop, yep. and the article's over now. Um, just for any international listeners, chucking a sickie is what's known as uh, taking a day of sick leave from work. Which- oh, and uh, for Americans, um, sick leave is a thing where if you can't come into work <laughs> because you're sick, they still pay you for it. Uh, yes, there may be an alien concept to many of you. So, uh, I believe it's, it's just basically a statutory entitlement, if that's what the word statutory means. Um <laughs> <laughs> if if you are if you are like a, a permanent full time employee, you get like what is it t- uh, 20, 20 days? But ten a year, I think, is the average. Ten a year, I'm pretty sure. Really? Yeah. Hmm. It's less than I thought. Uh, oh no, sorry. So I, I was thinking of personal leave, like holidays. Oh right, yeah. Sorry, that 20, is normal. Twenty years. Yeah. The, yeah. For American listeners, again, that's uh, a thing where you don't have to be at work. But you don't have to give a reason either. And you get 20 of them. Yep. Minimum. Uh, Some companies will give you more, yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, is chucking a sickie wage theft from an employer? Or is there sufficient wiggle room within the I'm feeling crook early morning phone message to assuage the conscience of even the most ardent sickie taker? And is this behavior simply tolerated as yet another cost of doing business? It is literally the cost of doing business. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It yep. is literally yep. baked in in the law yep. to say that if you want to employ a person full time, they are. It's it's funny because the word that's that he used up the top there, you'll notice when he says, um, "Let's let's let's rewind it, selector, right back to his very first paragraph where he did his big, his big caveat, his big, hey, I believe in being nice to people thing at the start." Um, He says, an employer has a duty of care, indeed a moral obligation, to ensure that workers are paid their full salaries and entitlements. Mm. Huh. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure that sick leave and personal leave are entitlements. But he's saying that, though, sometimes 
uh, you don't, uh, you know, you want those entitlements even though you're entitled to them. There's something, sorry, I'm missing some. I'm a bit confused this morning, but that's all right. The, so he's saying that people have this entitlement and that, he's, that they're entitled to, but people are taking those entitlements in a way that is sort of already accounted for in the cost of doing business and they're taking them and that's bad, but then he's, and then. Uh-huh, yep. Mm-hmm. So we've mm-hmm. got. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's let's see then, if you guys can help me figure out this part. All right. He says, if so, is, is this behavior simply tolerated as yet another cost of doing business? If so, it suggests that sickies are essentially an add-on benefit to formal leave entitlements. No, no, they're in the... No, they're a... Sorry, form, we've covered yeah. this. So, it's oh, in, no, no, no. So the formal no, no. Leave, Hold on. Yeah. Let him spell it out for you here. Okay, please. He has a, he has a hypothetical boss saying, Sh- quote, Sure. Look, you get four weeks annual leave plus sick leave and long service leave and we will also tolerate one or two sickies per year meaning no doctor's certificate is required a, a sickie is a sick day i mean like let's 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 boil it down to what he really means when he says sickie the the australian concept of chucking a sickie is to call in sick to work even though you are not actually too sick to go to work just sick of bloody working am i right oh you are right, though. You yeah, hundred percent right. right. Yeah. yeah. Um. And and look, I, I I work at a place now. I work at a at a job that I'm very happy with. That has what I consider to be a very like progressive leave policy, which is that you just have thirty days of leave a year, and you can use them how you want. And if you call up and say, "I'm not really feeling it today." Uh, so I'm not going to come to work. That that counts as a day of your leave. You don't have to say. You don't have to like pretend. <coughs> you don't have. To, oh, Please, I can't. Ah, oh, so sick. Ah. Oh. Um. Yeah, you don't. You don't have to do the song and dance, the sicky song and dance, or whatever. Um. They even have in their policy, like a list of things that you can use to take your days of personal leave for. And the very first one is like mental health days. Hmm. And I, I, when I was signing up to work at this place, I was like, that's really good to me to see like the concept of a mental health day actually acknowledged as a legitimate use of your leave that you are entitled to, as opposed to the way it works in a lot of workplaces, which is you get different types of leave and they're clearly segmented into personal leave which a lot of places think is like only to be used essentially for like annual leave and holidays and stuff and also you have to ask them like at least a month out from the time to say i want to take a week off or whatever um and that you know that that sick leave is you have to prove to the boss's satisfaction that you are literally too unwell to, to physically unable to come into work in order to qualify for using that particular type of leave. But that's, it's not what it's for. It's for days when you can't or essentially don't want to be at work. Also, there's a couple of like implications about the kind of environment that he's describing as well, right? Where one, you should come into work even if you absolutely uh, do not want to come into work so much that you are happy to burn through uh, your limited leave just so that you can uh, be there even though you're not feeling it like so so you're going to turn up you're going to be doing a, a crappy job because you don't want to be there but clearly this job uh, to him is just make work right you've got to you got to dig a hundred holes you know before you and then fill them back in like and perhaps the reason uh, why people are taking sickies is because uh, your job sucks and people don't want to be at the place at your place of work. So maybe there's something deeper going on here and your employment is actually bad and needs to be uh, looked at. Well, maybe, but that's probably not it. I mean, he's also describing a fairly mythical workplace of one that's um, very happy to give you every type of entitlement that you're actually owed. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
Oh, so he goes on, this isn't simply a matter of the fairness of business and worker rights. It's the far bigger issue of how we build a culture of doing the right thing, of engaging in ethical behavior and treating others fairly in all forms of commercial exchange. Now, again, Mm. I would come back to the idea that, like, again, this workplace, the, the workplace that I'm in now that I was talking about, has has a lot of those sorts of things workplace policies that are set up for me to have a nice life they're not actually geared around the workplace they're geared around them so like you know they even say in the leave policy like it's there to be used you're supposed to take holidays take a bunch of holidays all year so that you don't get burnt out Because that's what inevitably happens at workplaces where either they make it really difficult for people to take holidays or there is the there is the kind of um, inbuilt cultural expectation within the workplace that anybody who takes holidays is being selfish. The same thing with sick leave when you have those workplaces where like people get sick, but they keep coming into work. Yeah. And they and they act like they're being, you know, a brave martyr and they're not letting down the team while they fucking cough all over everybody and make like everybody else sick and need to stay home, which in and of itself is probably if you are the type of person who's obsessed with workplace productivity, is probably one of the worst things you could be doing. But um but no, it's just it makes a tremendous difference to have a workplace which very clearly considers things through the prism of we, we want people who work here to not be burnt out, to not hate working here, and to feel like if they're having a hard time or if they're just having a day where they're like, you know what, I, just, I don't want to drag myself into work today and just be, be miserable or for whatever reason, that you are entitled to just say, you know what, we're calling this one a write-off. And that in turn, that's, that's the starting basis of this social like element of the contract with your workplace that he's talking about. You need to start with the workplace saying, we treat our employees with respect and we give them what they need to lead like, you know, relatively happy and healthy lives because it doesn't work the other way. You can't say we're real hard asses about everything and we expect you to make sure that you're doing absolutely everything, you know, within the, both the letter and the spirit of all of our different policies and everything. Because um, that's just not how it works. I think the reality for most people in workplaces are if you are extremely stringent about policing policies and policing people's behavior and, you know, questioning their their motivations and their honesty about everything by making them, you know, drag their ass out of bed and go to the doctor and get a sick leave certificate every single time that they have, a, you know, a flu and can't go into work for one day then people will people will afford you exactly the same shit right back. They'll say, you give me no leeway and you don't trust me, so fuck you. Yeah, and then but then they're surprised when, you know, they make people turn up to the dick-sucking factory and then one day someone just quits on the spot and then comes back and drives a bulldozer through one wall of the factory and then through all the workers and then through the other wall of the factory and they go, how does this happen? Why does this man feel so... Uh, so such animus towards his job here at this wonderful factory. <sighs> yep, that's my, my general thing is just like if if you treat people in a workplace like children, they will respond in kind. If you treat people like they have no agency, like they can't be trusted, then they will stop being trustworthy. If If the position that you treat every employee of yours with in a workplace is... I need to be a fucking eagle-eyed, domineering piece of shit because, you know, otherwise I'll give you an inch and you'll take a mile or whatever. Then people will start from the position of, if I'm not going to be trusted anyway, then why should I behave in a trustworthy way? Mm -hmm. So this idea that, you know, everybody's meant to come to their workplace with, hey, maybe maybe if I give enough of myself to my employer, they'll start treating me nicely. (laughs) It's fucking absurd. Let's get this bank another billion, guys. We can do it. Maybe then it'll start to trickle down. Uh, Bernard says, you know those self-service checkouts in supermarkets? I'm shocked to learn that some people deliberately mis-enter expensive goods as cheap ones. Putting through an avocado as an onion, say. 
This is theft, obviously, and the majority of shoppers who are honest end up paying more to compensate for those who cheap the system. Um, wrong. Supermarkets yeah. absolutely build this into their costs because they know that the amount that they lose from people putting things through the wrong way is still less than it costs them to pay human people a living wage to do that work. Well, he literally says that in the next in the next sentence as if there's not some sort of... As if he's drawn the correct conclusion here. Supermarket operators probably <laughs> accept such losses given that the alternative, employing more checkout labor, would cost them more. Mm-hmm. So, if, if we're operating within the logic of his entire premise here, it's the supermarket that is fucking up its own social license by saying, well, rather than employ members of the local community and actually give something back to, to the place that we're operating, you know, in the form of jobs, which then turns into income, which then local people can spend in stores, which can be taxed, which can go back into the community... Instead, they would rather say, well, we'd rather lose a bit of money to shoplifting, but not have to actually pay anybody, you know, enough to have a job and to pay superannuation and have sick leave and all that kind of thing. So they're already starting from the position of fucking up their social license. And that's why people steal from them. Also, every single one of these examples he raises as if, you know, it's a tit for tat but it's it's about like a hundred thousand tits for one tat i would say (laughs) in in every case right like there's no way any of these balance out woolworths made over 50 billion dollars in revenue last year right like there is there is no way that that their tit is not larger than our tat well they also their tits and tats are not matching they they made um they made, you know, $50 billion and somehow still managed to steal $300 million in wages, in wages. from their employees. Yep. So, the idea that we're meant to be fucking sympathetic of somebody, some millennial probably, stealing an avocado, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's no pleasing him. He says yeah. we're spending too much money on avocados and then you put them through his onions and you're still bad somehow. I know, right? Yeah. And then you were also putting onions through, Ben. Um, as well, uh, side by side with the avocado, so that you can make your famous dish. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. And can you just uh, regale us with that dish, please? Oh, it's well, it's the flavor sensation that everyone's talking about. Uh, yep. Well, they're certainly eggs. talking about it. Yeah. So cheesy, cheesy onion eggs. Yeah. Cheesy onion eggs. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, cheesy it's onion the, eggs. It's the dish cheesy. that's on everyone's lips. Yep. Uh, I feel like it's the dish that's on your lips. Uh, probably still a little bit of my mustache. Yes. Uh-huh. Certainly. Yep. Um. How? Uh huh. So yeah, it's cheesy onion eggs. Cheesy onion eggs. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So you've got onion and eggs, classic combo. Oh, mm. absolutely. But uh, I feel like Goes you're leaving you. something out there. Sure. All right. So you got the che- you got the you got the onion. You yep. got the egg. Yes. You put them together. Co- mm, flavor combo. Just whoo, okay. Together. But yep. We're gonna so, take that one step further. We're gonna put a little bit of right. cheese in there. It's cheesy onion eggs. Now, is basically what the dish is. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> I I don't know whether there's any on to go to. Uh, so this is now uh, this uh, perhaps in like some sort of sandwich. So you could put the cheese on the sandwich. And well, if the, you've got bread, uh-huh. you cannot go past a cheesy onion egg sandwich <laughs> for sure. But if you don't have bread, uh, perfectly fine by itself. Your cheesy onion eggs. Hmm. So. <laughs> You'd put some salt on there. We're wrapping oh, yeah. up the Bernard Salt thing. Ah, good. Nice. Now, before we get out of here, we need to check in on an Australian cultural icon. A titan of industry, if you will. Uh, we are, of course, talking about longtime entertainment industry figure, Nick Giannopoulos. Now, I, I don't know how to start explaining this to an audience that is not Australian. No. Right? Mm. It feels like any point that we that we start off from uh, is a uh, racism point. All right, well, map, let, let me at to... least let me at least like taking taking a step back in the larger scope of things. We need to at least explain that Australia despite having, you know, over 25 million people, um, a bunch of capital cities, lots of money flying around and all that sort of thing. Apparently, the Australian entertainment industry is entirely composed of about 12 people. 
um, it has been like Peter Hellier and Nick Giannopoulos for like 30 years. Yep. Mm-hmm. You, got, you got Husey. Uh, yep. You got... Is Carl you Barron still in the mix? Sexy Husey. Yep. Yep. Carl Barron's still around. Like just just so much Jim of... Jim Mullen. So much of in Australia... Jim Mullen. Like I think we lost Peter Moon along the way. Okay. Um, but... Uh, we lost him in what sense? Just... He's not in the 12 anymore. Oh, right. We didn't... He's not dead. He's not dead. Yeah, okay. I I mean, he 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 could be, but (laughs) I haven't haven't checked. But I guess, Um, like, like you know, if if somebody if somebody in Australia like hits it big on the the world stage, your your Hugh Jackmans, your Margot Robbies, or whatever, mm -hmm. they fuck off to Hollywood and they're just living the life now. Yeah, Australia's domestic entertainment industry, in terms of comedians, the kind of people who may get onto like panel shows, the people who host. Um, like big radio stations, the people yep. who are on uh, morning shows and that kind of stuff. That has yep. largely been the same. Like even even comedy in the sense of people like Nick Giannopoulos, people who do like Australian political comedy, even that has all been like either the chaser or the working dog guys mm-hmm. for fucking decades. Yep, we keep them all in a big big chicken cage yep. uh, in the backyard. They're, they're happy enough pecking about, but we've got a panel show. We've got some reality TV show where someone, we have to pretend that we have celebrities yep. um, to put them on an island, perhaps. They're wearing a loincloth. Uh, and so we uh, open the cage door. Uh, we get uh, the Bondi vet out. Um, oh, roll the dice. Who, who else is in there? We get uh, uh, Julia Zamiro can. We'll grab her out and uh, clean them up. Chuck them on TV. Yeah. So, so with that out of the way, Nick Giannopoulos is somebody who has been on. He was on TV in like I want to say the late eighties. Um, through to doing like a couple of movies in the 90s and then since then I think he's basically been doing like comedy shows in the theatres for fucking decades since then. But here's the thing. He has a very specific identity. And let's get into it now. Nick Giannopoulos puts fellow comedians on notice for using wogs in shows, as in the word wogs. Now, like most people... I looked at this article and I thought to myself, huh, Nick Giannopoulos is mad at uh, comedians for using the slur wogs in their shows. Uh, Maybe this is a thing where he's like, hey, I'm a Greek guy who's been saying uh, wogs in my comedy forever, but you're a white guy who's using it as a slur and I don't like it, was what I thought to myself. But no. Uh, Nick Giannopoulos has put comedian colleagues on notice warning them to stop using the word that made him famous. In a move which has reportedly unsettled the Melbourne comedy scene, lawyers for Giannopoulos have sent letters demanding that rivals stop using the word wogs. Uh, the Wogs Out of Work star yesterday told Sunday Morning Herald he had trademarked the word to protect his business interests. Uh, my trademarks are wogs or wog boys. I don't own the word wog, he said. Oh my God. I'm, I'm, this my, is... I feel like I'm tumbling down a set of stairs right now. My lawyers have been hired to protect my trademark. It's understood that Giannopoulos trademarked the word in the early 1990s following legal advice. Now, at this point, I feel like we need to have a brief conversation about the word wog in Australian culture. Right? So, it's, it's a word of, of fairly indeterminate origin. Uh, some people think it's like various types of um, acronym, like Western Oriental Gentleman. Every single backronym that people like claim to be true is universally false all yep. the time. It's never the actual origin of a phrase, but people love them. As, as, soon, as, as soon as there's like three different acronyms that someone thinks the thing is it's it's none of them but also it will never be answered in any satisfactory sense no so in australia when there was a large influx of like greek and italian immigrants um in the middle of the the 20th century obviously this was this is a thing where we had big influxes of migrant communities then assimilating into australian culture and obviously assimilating into like the white part of Australian culture meant that there were lots of clashes, lots of racism, lots of exclusions of people. 
I think in some ways it's maybe comparable to think of the word wog as kind of being like Australia's version of the N-word, where it was like being used as as an exclusionary slur against segments of the community. And those segments of the community then said, we're just going to embrace this word and make it ours now so yeah. that it's not a horribly harmful thing every time someone says it to us because we're also saying it to each other. Which is sort of what's happened here, except um, Nick Giannopoulos has said, uh, we're reclaiming this word, and by we, I mean me, for trademark purposes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> My lawyers so, will be in touch. So I guess what I'm saying is that, it, that in Australia, it has a strange, it has strange connotation in history in the sense that it obviously started off being, a, being intended as a harmful slur. It then turned into a we're all friends and we all say this to each other so it's fine thing. I think if you if you asked most of the people in this country, most of the people in this country would probably say, oh, it's not a slur or an offensive term. It just means this. Um, and by that, I mean, you know, like look at the government that we have elected. I, mm-hmm. I, think that, I think that there are a lot of people that if you asked would say, oh no, it's not offensive. But at the same time, you can absolutely use it as an offensive slur. So with respect, with respect to Nick Giannopoulos' request for entertainers to stop using um, this word, lest it infringe on his trademark, uh, we will be removing all instances of the word from this point out. So, uh, Nick Giannopoulos has traded off the word for more than 30 years since he first burst onto the showbiz scene with the successful stage show Out of Work in 1987. It saw him go on to launch the groundbreaking television series Acropolis Now and star in the smash hit film Boy, which bought in $13 million at the box office. Other, other successful stage shows included Boys, Garama, Story, and most recently, Star Wars. <laughs> Hmm. Which I think is certainly not copyright infringement. I mean, he's got he's got half of that title down pat, doesn't he? Certainly not infringement on the most aggressive uh, aggressive enforcers of copyright. God, could you imagine that lawsuit, Nick Giannopoulos versus Disney? <laughs> It's understood that lawyers for Giannopoulos have recently sent letters to Melbourne comedians requesting they stop using the word to promote their shows. There would have been a show passing off as one of mine and my lawyers would have sent them a letter, Giannopoulos said. The government ruled in my favour in the mid-90s saying the word is associated with my previous shows and they granted me that trademark so that I could protect my business interests. Oh my god. It's understood a number of comedians who trade in ethnic-based comedy and believe they should be free to use the word are upset by the restriction. For 18 years, Italo-Australian comedian Gabriel Rossi has performed a comedy show called A Very Wee Xmas. He said he had not received a legal letter but had been advised to change the name of his annual show just in case. As someone from Italian heritage who grew up in the 70s and 80s, I see it as somewhat of an insult that this fella thinks he owns the word, Mr. Rossi said. I grew up with the word, particularly as a young boy. Mr. Rossi has now changed the name of his show to A Very Ethnic Xmas. Imagine if you uh, were able to trademark the N-word, for example, uh, and then stopped everybody from using it, uh, thereby fixing racism forever. Galaxy brain move that would be. Yeah, except if it suddenly became way too lucrative. Oh, Um, no. Licensing everyone (laughs) to use the N-word. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Disney owns the N-word now. They're they're doing live action (laughs) remakes of the little N-word, the N-word and the tramp. Oh, boy. That would be the darkest timeline. Oh, no. Well, that's it for us, folks. Um, as always, if you would like an extra show every week, you can go over and subscribe on patreon.com slash Vista. If you would like to write into the show, maybe tell us a story, maybe ask us a question, maybe ask for that coveted cheesy onion eggs recipe. It's very I, straightforward. It's well, basically cheesy onion eggs is kind of well, what it is. Maybe maybe we could um, write the recipe up and you could put it on uh, Patreon as a patron exclusive. 
How about that? I can even uh, make a video of making the recipe, although it's very straightforward. I must stress, it cheesy is just cheesy onion eggs. Onion eggs. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, if you want to write in about that, please write into mailbag at com. And if you want to leave us a message, Australian listeners can call the hotline on 1-800-317-515. US listeners can call 732-876-3446. And UK listeners can go fuck themselves. Yep. Uh, that is, of course, a shout out to friend of the show, Edie. Um, who said that that's what she uh, thinks in her head every time I do not include the UK uh, in that list. Um, but hey, if you would like something in the UK, a little treaty for your little sweeties, um, you can head over to Edie's store, littlecomrade.com, and get yourself um, some tiny uh, pro Jeremy Corbyn clothes for your children. Because uh, she's got little, little, cute, little cute socialist t-shirts for your kids. Uh, so check that out littlecomrade.com and that's it for us thanks everybody and we'll see you next week bye bye bye, bye.